Pod Clubhouse. Today we're talking about ATX Television Festival that happened in Austin, Texas in June. And today we're talking with my co-host, Paul Daly. Hi, Paul. Hi, Caroline. So this is part two for you guys who are just tuning in. Please go listen to our part one where you can listen to some of the the changes that ATX went through and you can find out a little bit more about day one and day two. But today, Paul, I want you to talk to me about day three and four, starting with day three, Walker Independence. Yeah, Walker Independence. This is a project produced by Jared Padalecki, who has assumed the role of Walker, Texas Ranger on the, on the CW from... Chuck Norris. Look at Dean from Gilmore Girls. Look how he's grown and changed. Now he's a, a Texas Ranger. <laughs> well, you know, he was on Supernatural for a very long time. Uh, that's what a lot of fans really know him as. Is not the couple of seasons he spent as Dean, but like the eleven or twelve he spent as uh, what Winchester on Supernatural. The thing is, the other half of Supernatural, Jensen Ackles, is creating a prequel for Supernatural. And Jared is not involved. Whoa, drama. It kind of was. It kind of was. Yeah. And I think Jared, I don't know how long it takes to cook up these things, but I mean, with Walker and then trying to create uh, a franchise out of it by creating his own uh, extended property, his own IP. So here he is presenting the pilot for Walker Independence. And he was moderating it himself with the lead actors from, from the show. What did you think about Walker Independence? We're we're Texans, so did you have any gut instinct on this? Did it feel authentic? It felt like a CW show. Um, it didn't necessarily look cheap or anything like that. But I'll, I'll I'll mention that the lead actress Kat McNamara, who was there, was never out of makeup in her trail ride. The setup is that she is married to a man who is set to become a new sheriff in independence they get waylaid on their way to independence he gets killed she and so she shows she shows up in town and she's nobody because another guy has said oh i'm the sheriff now oh just like a guy to do that yeah so (laughs) you know she makes friends with so what year about uh, is this 18 something 18 18 late 18 something post civil war okay um you know 1870s 1880s somewhere in there no we just covered 1883 on totally Pod different Clubhouse. flavor okay yeah. so give, but give me a little bit of that comparison because what is the flavor of this sounds a little lighter well i mean there's murder and there's gunplay <laughs> and, and and there's a guy who enjoys whoring but what? well you just know, one just just one that we just focused that, just on just that one guy <laughs> Everyone else is like whoring, boo. Right, boo. <laughs> uh, but no, um, 1883 was striving for a deeper, visceral sense of drama, and this is catering more toward a younger crowd that that probably isn't gonna want to feel as much as 1883 was gonna want you to feel in order to enjoy that show. Okay. So a little less gritty, a little less authentic. Even though they're fitting in like the same genre, they're going Mm -hmm. for a different demographic. Well, and that's understandable. I mean, not everybody wants to experience drownings and whatnot when they're experiencing that era, right? So, I mean, it's okay to have a little bit of a different POV on the matter and and maybe take it a little lighter. That's that's the word I want to say is like, it seems like a little bit lighter in the subject matter. Right, right. Well, her teaming up with an outlaw 
to try to set things to rights is he's he's the one that provides that sort of lighter take where he's you meet him and he's digging his own grave but he talks his way out of it you know? just like an outlaw just like an outlaw <laughs> yeah well it sounds fascinating is this something that you're going to continue to watch you think or wh who would you recommend it for if you like other cw shows or if you enjoyed the chuck norris walker yeah if you want to to know about that walker universe watch it what's it, that walker all about yeah if you're a fan of the actress cat mcnamara when i made the post on instagram i posted everything that i went to go and see and this session by far and away got the most hits because both jared and Kat had their own built-in fan bases where people are just waiting for that hashtag to come up. Some of them go and steal your pictures. And, Ooh, uh, <laughs> damn. Got to watermark those things daily. Yeah, people are looking, looking forward to this, and I think they know what they're going to get with that kind of CW flavor. Okay, excellent. So what did you go to next? It looks like Station Eleven. Yeah, Station Eleven, if you're not familiar, is a post-apocalyptic show on HBO that is shown out of sequence where they have um, some flu or epidemic pandemic type event wipes out a lot of people i mean it may be a little soon for this story but you know the uh the timing of it they didn't have any choice on anyhow they this so the story is told about this girl who becomes a woman as they will and uh, she joins something called the, the traveling symphony who are a band of performers who go around to settlements that they trust to trade with and perform for. So they will write their own plays or reinterpret old plays. Is this a show that you would recommend for our listeners? What what other types of shows would they might have watched that they would also enjoy this? If you liked The Leftovers or if you liked um, Lost, more The Leftovers than Lost. If, you'd like, if you're okay with a show where by the end of it, you may not feel okay <laughs> like like every episode is not a little unsettled there's well there's not going to be like you know a, a fortune cookie ending at, at the end of every episode where you're like and i feel great after watching that that's not this show okay and so this panel was the the creatives behind it the showrunner and like the casting and the editor and various creative people were involved um in this panel I think the most interesting thing that they had to say, they were one of those shows that straddled lockdown because the show has these out of sequence portions in it. They needed to re record it, tape it, film it, whatever the right word is these days in out of sequence. We're normally uh, uh, episodic TV is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. They, they shot this one, eight, five, six, three, two, four, you know, th like that to cater to some other need that they had, whether for, for locations or ages of the actresses that portrayed the same person throughout time or whatever. I'm not sure what it all was, but they had to shoot it out of sequence. They shot the first two and then had to go on lockdown for a year. Wow. And then come back to it. That's a very highly unusual circumstance that led them to give, to have a whole year that they wouldn't normally have to really hone the ideas that they had into how to make the next episodes exactly perfectly what they wanted. It sounds to me like it was, I would watch multiple episodes before making up my mind because it sounds like they kind of evolved the show because so much time passed. Yeah. The weird element there is that it was like the first one and the eighth one are the ones that they got shot. And then they, 
Interesting. Okay. Or something like that. So it wouldn't be out of line if oh, if a watcher were to feel like maybe things were were a little. I'm not gonna. I don't want to use the word inconsistent because that might be a little bit too strong. But if you're feeling like I wonder why the first one and the eighth one seems so similar, but there was other ones in the middle that seemed a little different, you would not be off base because they did they did shoot it out of sequence and they had this time where they kind of changed it up a little. That's fair to say. Okay, and so where can people watch that? HBO or HBO Max. Is it out currently? It's completely out. Awesome. So go check that one out, you guys. After that, I went and arranged an interview with a man named Josh Einson, who is the casting director for This Is Us. Now, this one I find so interesting because, of course, Paul and I covered This Is Us for many seasons. We just wrapped up the finale for that one. And casting on that show was so important to it being believable because we had this family aging over the course of generations. And, you know, you didn't want it to look all hodgepodge about who the one character was and then suddenly they were taller, shorter, you know, whatever. Everything looked so weird about them. And this show in particular did an amazing job of keeping small details really, really consistent with characters as they aged. We have a video of the interview coming out very soon. So you can see all of Josh's comments in detail. But um, I want to mention that specifically with grown-up baby Jack and all the various phases of Jack, this is probably the most impressive part of that casting, even though the rest of it had, you know, they had generational aspects to needing to cast littles and teens to match the, uh, the adult actors. When it came to baby Jack, Dan Fogelman really resisted the idea of letting the casting cheat you know, whether by hiring an actor to portray a visual impairment. So they had super unbelievably tight parameters to work work inside. Think of needing to find a 20-something visually impaired man who can sing and act. That's not really a dime a dozen sort of sort of actor out there to go and find as a casting director. And he made it sound like they were constantly up against the the wire trying to find people to match these roles. I would say finding a visually impaired toddler who can act and sing would be even more challenging. He has a story about him too. You guys, you have to go listen to this interview because it's fantastic. And again, it's going to be a video that we put out on Pod Clubhouse. You can check it out on Twitter at podclubhouse.com, on uh, Facebook, all over the place. We will post that video and you can watch. But for those of you who don't follow This Is Us, the character of Baby Jack, who we're calling Baby Jack, is like Jack the second, I guess, would yeah, be, right? Probably. But we, we would lovingly refer to as Baby Jack. He is visually impaired. And for us, we have a deafblind daughter. And so for us, it was very important that we kind of follow that casting and pay attention to how they're going to handle it. And we were always impressed with the people that they got to take that role and how, you know, the, the differences about how different eye impairments can come across was really well done, that they stayed very tight with how it needed to look. They weren't going to present various eye conditions, you know, throughout the ages. Like they were going to really make sure that it looked right. And maintained that that feeling of character that the casting and the creatives had a gut instinct for. So like we've mentioned, say, the actress who plays uh, Teen Beth is height wise not a match. 
And he said, well, actually, there was another actress who was a better physical match for Beth that auditioned, but she didn't feel as much like Beth as did the actress who got the part. So they always leaned into the feeling over other physical cues because that kind of, I don't know, whether that, that, that feeling aspect of it usually made up for it. A thousand percent. And I think that those small nuances like that, like that's what made us as viewers feel connected across the generations because you you didn't feel like it was all herky-jerky. Like, well, this one seems like this and this one seems like that. It's like, yeah, the character is being portrayed by a different actress or actor, but at the same time, they just had that same vibe. So you, were, you could just go with it. We talk about several other characters and instances. So I encourage you to uh, look for that video very shortly. I'm working on it today as, <laughs> as, uh, as we're trying to get our coverage so for ATX look for finished. it by the end of June, you guys, of 2022, if you guys are listening to this at a later date. Paul, one of my most favorite people that we met over the years at ATX was Phil from Somebody Feed Phil. He, first of all, always brought food. So that was always an awesome panel. We got breakfast tacos usually. No food this time. Well, <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that. I know. You really just bust my bubble there. Thanks a lot. For those that aren't familiar, this is Phil Rosenthal. He is the creator of Everybody Loves Raymond. A lot of people probably chalk that up to Ray Romano. Ray Romano is just the face. Phil was the writer and the idea man behind the thing. And since the years that it has gone off the air, he wanted to make a, a one of those traveling eating shows. When that's how we met Phil was was he was at our first ATX where he was presenting James Lingenberry Brooks as, as Phil <laughs> called him remember yes um, with a Lifetime Achievement Award and then we watched Phil's panel and it was about uh, his first attempt at this show that it wasn't called Somebody Feed Phil it was What's Phil Eating or something like that it was a PBS What's Eating Phil. What, Something like Something that. Something like that, yeah. And it was PBS that was paying for it. And so that was like the first go at it. And then eventually Netflix picked up the idea and that's where he's at now. And before they announced him, they came out and said that as of that day, Somebody Feed Phil was the number one non-scripted series on Netflix right then. Wow. And, Good for Phil. And the number one and the number five TV show um, so now I don't know Phil personally, we don't like hang out and like have dinner together, but I would say that he seems like a pretty nice guy. And so that, that warms my heart that, that, it, you know, it's kind of like nice guys can finish first, you know, you really can be a good person, be supportive. We've seen many episodes of his show and he's always so kind and gracious to whatever, you know, community he's in talking to the people, talking about their food, of course, but also learning their stories and kind of just giving you like this little glimpse into different parts of the world and little communities, including the special needs community, which always makes me happy when you get a different opportunity to see them. They were cooking and they were like doing all these different crafts and stuff. And he just shed a really awesome light on this community in Maine. And, you know, I know that they were family members of his and that's another part of him that I think is very genuine and like endearing, draws you in every time because he's bringing on whether it had been his parents or whether it was cousins or aunts and uncles, what have you. He's always got 
kind of like bringing you into the table, like, come on, your family. It feels that, awesome. That was the sad aspect was that we know that his parents had been yeah. either guests or Zoomed into his shows. And since then, both parents have died. So that was sad. He teared up. It was a, it was a moment. Well, you know, they were, they were a big part of the show in terms of being like this little sounding board for him. And I think that he would fall into this character where he was like super animated and like, I, I can't exactly describe you because just tune in to somebody feed Phil. His brother works on the show. His brother is yeah. either a camera operator or uh, like an on-set director or some, something, but he's behind the camera, And but they're constantly turning the cameras around to look at each <laughs> other because they're whenever so there's cute. too much food, he gives the crew the rest of the food. So, so they have to watch them take their bites. And Oh my God, that main one with the lobster. How much were you dying? Now, anytime I think of lobster, I'm dying, but especially <laughs> seeing so many people enjoy so much of it. Oh my God, they look so delightful so you guys this is an awesome show to watch i think especially when you're like going to bed or maybe you're cooking dinner and you like turn it on in your kitchen or what have you i think that there's something about it that's so warm and inviting and it's just really feel good like you can go to sleep with like a smile on your face and feel talking to you about how wonderful the world is instead of anything sad and nasty <laughs> nothing <laughs> exploding or, or no, no nothing bad is happening yeah after that I went Speaking of exploding worlds. Exactly. <laughs> I went to the Westworld panel. HBO was hosting a Westworld panel where they brought Lisa Joy, who is the co-creator, co-showrunner, co-head writer. Her husband, Jonathan Nolan, was supposed to be there, but they didn't say why. They just said that he wasn't. But you guys, we have an amazing opportunity with HBO that just fell into our laps because of Paul's big old brain with his trivia. You have to talk about our Westworld trip coming up. Every festival, there is a trivia contest at ATX. And usually the prizes are provided by the sponsor. And if the sponsor doesn't give any prizes, then they just give away merch from the tables. And that's about it. This year, I wasn't expecting anything other than that. But I still wanted to play trivia. So I found a table with nobody I knew at it. Uh, our table filled up and eventually they start asking all the questions. And I have teamed up with someone who I didn't know, but she knew all the shows from HBO that I didn't know because all of the H all the trivia was HBO trivia. And that's super key, you guys. If you go to ATX or hey, if you go to any trivia, generally, definitely find a stranger who watches different shows than you. That is key. Don't find the one that you let you you have things in common. No, 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 no. That's that's a sucker's choice right, there. Exactly. Find the person who watches all different shows than you so you can balance each other out she watched like the flight attendant and big little lies and like all the stuff that was like i wasn't quite so familiar with and so anyway we came in second place and then at the end of it all the people running it announce oh yeah there's a grand prize only the the top three teams can participate in and, and the trivia is all Westworld. So you have to send somebody who knows Westworld to the front of the room. So since I'm the only person at the table that knows it, I and uh, another woman who had seen an episode. That's it? Yeah. <gasps> go represent Dang. our team of uh, so there's six people competing now and they say okay the prize is that the two winners of this contest will get a all expenses paid trip to the 
Westworld season four premiere in New York City. And then all of a sudden, people had already been like leaving the trivia contest because their teams had lost. Right. They must have froze in place. Like, what? It turned into a bigger deal. But at no point had they advertised that something so valuable was ever at stake at this trivia contest. Maybe they were afraid people would like start boning up on the Westworld and like be talking about it and stuff. We had been to this contest before and you know, like like they give away like Southwest Airlines $50 vouchers. Yeah, things past. like that, which are great and valuable and exciting at a trivia contest, but nothing so big as, as a whole trip. Nothing like to that. To a premiere in New York City? Yeah. What? Yeah. Crazy. Okay, so Paul plays out and guess what happens, listeners? You will not believe it you will not believe it <laughs> by virtue of where i sat the right question fell into my lap it was which indigenous tribe did grace encounter when she escaped her first park and wound up in westworld and listener do you guys remember we're going to give you a second come on yell it out we can hear you i can't hear you <laughs> What was the answer, Paul? Ghost Nation. Ghost Nation. And that answer is sending Paul and I to New York City, June 21st, for the premiere of Westworld Season 4. Cannot believe it. Cannot find a dress I want to wear yet. <laughs> Super quick turnaround here. We're very excited and very grateful to HBO and to ATX for having such an amazing prize. My Lord, all the things that had to align for Paul to be sitting in just the right seat at just the right time. I with cannot take for granted that there was so much cosmic luck involved there. It's crazy. But, you know, fortuitously, unlike some of the other people up there who had only seen one episode, we've been covering Westworld since the beginning. So in many ways, you were well prepared for that question. If you guys yeah. have not listened to our Westworld coverage, please head over to Pod Clubhouse, either on podclubhouse.com or over on Twitter. You can hit us up on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Check out our Westworld coverage because we are replaying some of our old coverage so that you can bone up, be ready for season four. Because, man, what if you end up in a trivia contest and you're all like, ghost what? No, <laughs> because you'll be like, I listen to the dailies. I know it's Ghost Nation. I freaking remember. Yeah, that was a big night. Paul can't stand it. That was a big night. Yeah. There. As he's, for the panel he's, itself, he's still though, freaking out. <laughs> he is. As for the Westworld panel itself, though, it was fun to see everybody because they had Evan Rachel Wood, they had Jeffrey Wright, they had Luke Hemsworth, they had Angela Serafian, and then a new actress, Aurora Perino, who plays I, a new character. I'm super impressed that they had so much of the cast because even in their reunion, like Parenthood, they had more people, but like not the biggest ones. And it's like for this one, to have Dolores, yeah. to have Arnold slash Bernard, to have, you know, the biggies there. Well, and then there was a cool moment. They took a question from the audience, but it turned out to be James Marsden had popped up in the back of the, James Marsden. Of the hall and wanted to know if there was ever going to be more Teddy. Oh. And so he runs up on stage and he does the kind of this, like this silly jog where he like jogs over to one side of the stage and then jogs over to the other <laughs> side of the stage before he finds a place to sit down. When I say that they wouldn't give any substantive answers, they wouldn't even commit to the idea that some version of Teddy or anything is back in the show. Hey, when it comes to hosts, you never say never. You can't freaking know. You know, if you've been following Westworld, Dolores was killed in a major way at the end of season three. All they would commit to is that there was a new character that looks like Evan Rachel Wood, who is a writer in New York. 
And that's all they would say about her. So who knows, you guys? Very intriguing. Definitely hit us up for more coverage on that. And, of course, we're going to have a million pictures coming at the end of June with all the premiere coverage that we'll have. And who knows? Maybe we'll get some interviews, but at least we'll have a lot of photographs for you guys to check it all out. And, of course, we're going to sit down in front of the microphones and give you our hot takes on what we saw, what we heard. We'll even have some extra well, well, tidbits since we all have seen the premiere. Man, I'm, tr- I'm going to try to not be a dork and have my camera out <laughs> recording everything we see. I, I think Paul's going to Paul's going to be like one of those guys who has like a, like a flower on his lapel, but it's actually like right. a camera. <laughs> right? Is that Google Glass you're wearing, sir? No, it is not spy glasses. Oh my god, we may have to do like a little live action. Maybe we'll do a little a little Facebook live action or something from the from the red carpet. We'll see. We'll see what we can do but you guys definitely check out pod clubhouse to see all the inside scoop because for once we don't just have to hear about it after the fact we're gonna be there (laughs) super excited very excited and also if you have any tips and and ideas for what caroline should wear Please hit me up with any ideas you'd like to tell me. Hashtag what Caroline should wear. Honest to God, I I would love to hear your opinions. (laughs) All right. So day four was... How could it possibly compare to day three, Paul? I just can't imagine. There were some cool things that happened on day four also. All right. I guess we'll stick around for this portion. Well, surprisingly, though, for me, the Scrubs reunion was like the least of those cool things. Scrubs was not one of my shows, but I still went to go see all of the actors that they had assembled there because they did have Zach Braff and Donald Faison and Sarah Chalk and Neil Flynn and John C. McGinley all present there as well as the show's creator who uh, Bill Lawrence is his name also involved with Ted Lasso. They spend a lot of time talking about Ted Lasso and the Scrubs rewatch podcast that that a couple of them are doing. It was fun to see them all interacting and having a good time together. Apparently they had gone out on the town uh, the night before as a group and they kept hearing, is that the cast of Scrubs? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how funny that would be. It's it's awesome how they do go around in Austin and Austin is like a, a little big city, if you will. You know, like there's not that many streets where people end up going to hang out. And, no. you know, it's not that crazy to run into people during these festivals. So, again, if you guys want to check out ATX, it is always in June in Texas, in Austin. And you can also hit up those virtual passes. So don't forget that if you feel like I can't fly to Austin, I don't know what I'm doing, but I want to check out these panels. Please check out that virtual pass. After that was a cool panel with the Friday Night Lights podcast. That one is host. What is that, Paul? Well, a couple of cast members from Friday Night Lights are doing their own rewatch podcast. Derek Phillips, who played Billy Riggins, and Stacey Orstano, who, who played Mindy Riggins, his girlfriend slash wife. On the show. I also got a chance to interview them following this session, this panel, and we talk about their podcast and the idea behind it and some of the other cool things that they're up to. You guys can check that out on our series interview with a podcast where we sit down with different podcasts and hear about their creation process and why they're doing it and giving some insight into their different episodes. So definitely check it out. Interview with a podcast on pod clubhouse. That'll also be on in a video. So you can watch it on YouTube if you want to see the beautiful people as well. (laughs) Um, What was cool about their panel was that they had actress Adrian Palicki who played Tyra Colette 
the Mindy's sister, as well as Brad Leland, who played Buddy Garrity. On he's always a card. On yeah, yeah, they were. He maintained his cardship. Yeah, yeah, he is who he is. <laughs> he is always who he is. He's re- gregarious. Yeah, he is. Well, he every every answer he gave had a joke first. You of know. course. And they also brought up the lady who played Jason Street's mom. I can't remember her name right now, but she was also, uh, I think she's an Austin local. She was. Uh, one of the moms of the girls who disappeared in the second season of The Leftovers, which was shot in Lockhart. So that makes sense that she'd be a local actress. If you're not familiar with Friday Night Lights or why it matters to ATX, it's that it was shot near Austin. And so when ATX was just a baby festival, they really relied on the actors and creatives from Friday Night Lights to, to come to their festival and give them some credibility basically they have remained what they call ambassadors of the festival since then and so that means whenever there's a festival they show up and they support the festival by by continuing to give it that sort of like act, real actors do come to this thing it's it's not some fan driven thing it's 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 a real an industry event and they also have had events on the field where it was actually shot and then also um, remember that we had access to the locker room and i mean all those different things so so very cool the way that they have woven in friday night lights into atx if you haven't watched that show you should watch that show get to it y'all what are yeah, you waiting it, for it's where can they see it paul i would look on uh, peacock right now i mean i've seen it on hulu amazon netflix it's been everywhere but it's historically an nbc show currently on peacock uh so like i said after that i got to talk to them in person in the press room that video is forthcoming and i had to hurry up and get them done so that i could go watch a panel about ip intellectual property and its place on television so now this is something that we talked about in part one of this series of power press pass one of the things that i feel like can be confusing is because when people think about ip i think i think they don't necessarily think about tv shows i think they think about technology not necessarily tv shows so explain it a little bit to people intellectual property is that idea that gets kind of replicated and turned into other products so when a book gets turned into a movie they're they're using that intellectual property from that book and turning it into something else in the case of the first guests uh, scott gimple he is the overseer of the walking dead properties on amc walking dead started as a comic book and it was developed and turned into a tv show that eventually had two spin-offs so far with more to come and he's the architect of how that's all supposed to work there was another man there from the company run by anthony and joe russo who are better known as the directors of infinity war and endgame and his only job was to examine the reams of potential intellectual property out there that could be turned into a multitude of things whether it's movies tv shows comics games whatever his job is to see what is ripe for that and try to snag it for his bosses and and work it with their company they admitted like serialized narrative um, podcasts are becoming more and more of a thing in terms of potential intellectual property because you do see that especially turning into tv shows or documentary type tv shows podcasts being that origination for those ideas other people they had there were the head writer from obi-wan kenobi 
and then a executive producer and writer for the House of the Dragon, which is coming up soon on HBO, which is a spinoff from Game of Thrones, which, of course, were based on books. So what do you think of the panel? Was it something that you think people would definitely want to have check it out? I do. And, and its positioning as like the last panel on Sunday made it so that it was somewhat lightly attended. But I thought that the the approach that the writers took in, in explaining what they do and how they do it and what makes one thing worth doing, another thing, something that they shouldn't pursue and all those kinds of topics is something that the crowd that goes to ATX would would really eat up. So having them be last, maybe it was, maybe it had to be, maybe there was like travel problems presented by the presenters. Because I, I tried to get interviews with both the Star Wars and the Game of Thrones writers and due to their own schedules, I couldn't, I couldn't wedge in there. It was very restricted on that end and it had to be right then we've sat in on several different panels that have had various industry topics this one because it has those big names star wars you know game of thrones attached to it i thought it should have been a more like a thursday or a friday not last on sunday i ate it up and i stuck around and met who i could meet so i could put my little foot in the in the door so that hopefully on our podcast coming up, we'll be able to have interviews with these people. That would be amazing. This is that type of festival where you get an opportunity to actually mingle a little bit with the industry people and hopefully get an opportunity to talk with them away from the festival itself. So that will be exciting as we move forward. Paul, what did you think overall of this season 11 of ATX? Overall, it was 1000% better than the virtual version presented the last two years. There were a couple panels that stand out from the virtual version that probably would never happen in person. But overall, in terms of the upgrade in the uh, facilities and the energy of just being around other people that are excited to be where you are doing what you're doing and they're not checking their phone or whatever, they're very present in <laughs> what they're doing there. It's great to be back to that sort of thing. And I really, really we want to do it again next year with you. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely Pod Clubhouse will always be at ATX, no matter if it's with myself, Paul, or our partner, Mike. There will definitely be someone there representing Pod Clubhouse because this has been a festival that we've enjoyed going to every single year. And they always have great panels, amazing reunion shows, opportunities for interviews. I mean, there's so much stuff that's going on there. And you always walk away with like a smile on your face because they're like you have your moment like with Craig Robinson and doing his like piano playing, right? Right. Like there's always just those kind of like offbeat moments that you just can't imagine is going to happen and then suddenly is happening right in front of you. So apparently a couple of years ago when they had the Yellowstone panel, yeah. which we didn't even realize we should go to, <laughs> Matthew McConaughey showed up because he and Cole Hauser had been friends since Dazed and Confused. They like closed the bar at the Stephen F. Austin because they stayed there and the bar wouldn't kick them out. But they didn't leave. So it was like a 3 or 4 a.m. sort of thing. And that bar is more like an 11 o'clock kind of place. Yeah, and it's also a very small bar. So honestly, you probably could have gotten pretty close to them. Yeah. That's yeah. the magic of ATX, right? You just never know who you're going to see or who you're going to be sitting right next to. Right, exactly. Awesome. Well, this is Caroline. And this is Paul. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Pod Clubhouse Press Pass. We're so excited to be bringing you guys live events. Please stay tuned for more episodes coming from 
San Diego Comic-Con. We're going to be at the Bentonville Film Festival and many more live events. So please check us out. Thanks so much for listening. If you like this podcast, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you listen to podcasts so that other people can find the podcast. Five stars, people. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open and we'd love to hear from you.